back for more? Welcome to Games We Grew Up With, a podcast that relies on nostalgia and a geeky sensibility. Each episode, we'll talk about one of the video games that left an impression on us as kids, put on some rose-tinted glasses and reminisce about it, then replay the game and see how it's held up over the years. This episode, we're moving our bishops and talking about the seventh guest for DOS, Windows, and Mac. I'm Chris. And I'm Katie. We've signed the guest book, so let's dive in. Which way should I go now? <laughs> yeah, and with the emphasis on the weird syllable. So we're on to episode 23, but the big news, I think, is our upcoming 24-hour stream for Chris's Yay! birthday. Burr, burr! Yay! He's old. Uh, it happens. <laughs> so we've been talking about it for a bit on June 9th. We are going to be starting our 24-hour stream, and I do say we, as we will all be in the same household to stream, so it's going to be very exciting. That is so exciting. The West Coast is coming to the East Coast, so we will all be in the same house. All in the same house. For the first time in, what, what did we figure, over a year and a half? For the first time since the podcast's inception. Yes. So we are going to start streaming again on June 9th at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Uh, <laughs> at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. West Coast time. It's going to be a lot of fun. Again, it's going to be 24 hours. We're going to go into the 10th, which is Chris's actual birthday. We're going to be streaming a ton of games. We're definitely going to have some Halo coming up, but we're going to try to get in some other games in there as well. We are absolutely taking some suggestions, so feel free to reach out to us on social media. Give us suggestions on what games we should be playing. We'll try to accommodate as many as we can. Think of things that will help us stay awake. Uh, that will help us too. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we really are looking forward to you all joining us and having some fun on this 24-hour stream. We are going to do our best to make it. I think with with the four of us, even if producer Lisa has said pretty much that she's just going to bed without us. So. because you said you were going to be playing Halo all day. <laughs> what we really should do is we'll play some Mario Party all together. That won't be chaos. Oh, yeah. Mario Party and, yeah, Halo is a game that and we want to play. <laughs> Goldeneye is a, a suggestion. So we're, we're going to try to do our best. So It'll, it'll be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Really, join us on the stream, like I said, June 9th, starting 9 p.m. Eastern. Look for it. Join us. Celebrate Chris's birthday. We're going to have a ton of fun. So that's our big announcement, June 9th. And that would be on Twitch at GWGW show just in case you've never seen us on Twitch. We'll make sure that we have our social media open during that time so even if you're not on Twitch you can be messaging us on Facebook or email or Twitter, Instagram, we'll be everywhere. We'll be trying to keep in touch with everyone. It's going to be a lot of fun. So the announcements out of the way, we're on to the meat of the episode, which means we're on to 
Video game trope of the day. Trope of the day! Trope of the... What should I do now? Trope of the... We're gonna die before you finish this puzzle. So, Chris, what is our trope of the day? Our trope of the day for this episode is dumb luck slash undeserved victory, which we found a lot in this current game. It's pretty much when you accidentally beat something. Yeah. Be it through button smashing or random clicking or not paying attention. But somehow you beat the boss, you solve the puzzle. It's not uncommon in yeah. in lots of genres of games. And so this is something that while some games it, it's more likely it's going to happen, puzzle games in particular, you're going to absolutely encounter it more. I think fighting games with button mashing, yeah. it definitely happens a lot. But this is also just the general of like you're playing an FPS with friends and you happen to get that headshot you never would get. Like it's it's that kind of idea right. that, that that headshot wins the game. You know, those kind of things. So it, it doesn't necessarily always apply to just one game or one like games don't normally build this in as a mechanic you hope that they're not hoping on dumb luck to win the refrain for this trope is wait i beat it wait wait is that the victory animation what just happened is, did, i i guess i won uh, how did that happen or to be fair especially when it comes to competitive games the opposite response is what did you how did you just do that yeah when no one can believe you just beat them at something because you lucked your way into it <laughs> <laughs> so again of course in this particular game that we're playing with seventh guest it is a puzzle game there were absolutely puzzles that we solved without knowing why we solved them which could be so annoying for certain members of the podcast to be fair. yeah okay it was so <laughs> annoying for me because i wanted to know why i solved it i i wanted that sense of accomplishment no for sure it it didn't always work out. The other thing is, though, this can definitely happen in other games. Like I said, I think one moment when I felt that about something you did and you didn't care, Chris, was when we were playing Jack and Daxter and I was watching your game play through and it was in the very first intro level. You're going through the training level and you like fell off the side of a cliff because you were trying to explore and you happened to fall on the beach that had a power cell. And you're like, oh, look, I did it. Oh, and yeah. I was like... <laughs> <laughs> so annoyed that you just lucked into finding something that was kind of hidden and it, the very first time you play you might not know it's there and so you have to wander the island and you just like yeah. happened to fall off the side of a cliff and found it and I was like son of a <laughs> <laughs> so these kind of things can apply in a lot of different cases yeah so overall it's kind of a simpler trope this is something that every gamer experiences probably at some point in their gaming career is dumb luck the undeserved victory that you're walking away being like i was definitely the worst player there but oh well i win yeah. i made and, it work and i made it work and that's all that matters at the end of the day so that's why <laughs> Me, anytime i win <laughs> <laughs> so that's why dumb luck slash undeserved victory is our video game trope of the day trope of the day so it's time to talk about the game of the episode Katie, what can you tell me about The Seventh Guest? The Seventh Guest for DOS and Mac is an interactive movie puzzle adventure with horror elements. So lots of different games all in one. It seemed really hard for them to classify this. It was very tough to classify this. It, it, yeah. 
revolutionized gaming at the time, genuinely, which is really oh, fascinating. Yeah. It, it released in 1993 by Trilobite. As I said, it revolutionized gaming in that it's one of the first games to be released only on CD-ROM. It was too big a game to be on disc, so it was solely on CD-ROM, and it was one of the first games to do so. And in fact, they've called it a killer app because of it. It actually helped propel CD-ROM forward in the industry, which is incredible. And not only was it on one CD-ROM because it couldn't fit on floppies, it was on two because it was such a big game that it was on two CD-ROMs. And also, I'm pretty sure this is how we actually got the game because the game was shipped with CD-ROM drives as like a, a included, like, you've got a CD-ROM drive. Here's the seventh guest. I, and this yeah. was, it was super early on because it was one of the first, as you were saying, and it was before, like, Myst and, and some of those other ones. So this was one of those first ones where they went, here's your CD-ROM drive, here's the seventh guest. And I'm pretty sure that's, now that I think about it, that's probably how we got it since no one in our household remembers how we got that game. As we said, it was revolutionary for the CD-ROM. They actually have sold 2 million copies as of 2000. And it was considered unprecedented for the live action clips in the amount of pre-rendered 3D graphics and for adult content. This game really broke a lot of barriers for video gaming. In fact, Bill Gates called the seventh guest the new standard in interactive entertainment, which is hmm. huge, really. Yeah. Like that's how much it was it was a big deal when it came out. Also you said presidented. Oh yeah, I wrote that down. <laughs> the game was popular enough that a 25th anniversary edition came out in 2019 and there were also two sequels there was the 11th hour that came out in 1995 and the 13th doll which was actually done by a fan group also came out in 2019 which i think that actually got approved by the original it was publisher yes right? they they um gave the rights to do the game okay so they gave the rights to certain elements of the original game. So characters mm -hmm. from the seventh guest and 11th uh, guest show up in the 13th doll and they had every right to do it. It was officially done all kosher. The funny thing is Trilobite actually tried to do a official third game first back in 2013, but the Kickstarter failed. So it didn't happen. Mm. Whereas the Kickstarter for the 13th doll was a success. I did not know about that Kickstarter and I'm, curious because i know trilobite kind of blew up and and fell apart after the 11th hour so oh, no. did they come back together or like who was who was involved they did try to come back together i think they are back together now officially to a certain extent not in full ca like capabilities but they did try to come to back together for the like sequel to the 11th hour and the mm -hmm. kickstarter failed unfortunately because they didn't have any backing yeah. at the time of course yeah but back to the original game, back to the seventh guest, all the actors in the game are actually stage actors. Because again, it was live action clips and they specifically yeah. sought out stage actors, A, because they wanted to benefit their local area. So they're all local to where the studio was. Mm -hmm. But also, they knew that as much as they were doing live action video, that the graphics weren't going to be able to support great recognition. So you weren't going to be able to see faces very well. You weren't going to be able mm -hmm. to see details. So they specifically wanted stage actors because they could do 
big emotes. They wanted to be able to make things show up by being over the top in general, like you have to be on stage. So they specifically right. sought out stage actors for that exact reason because they knew that their faces weren't as important as their full body actions, which is really clever that they knew the capabilities and the limitations of the technology they wanted to use. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure uh, I was reading about something with this where originally they wanted to film everything as a movie and then they realized that would be incredibly expensive and then 3d rendering had come enough along where they could be like all right so we can actually pre-render the entire inside of the house and use green screens to do all of the videos blue Blue screens screens. yeah whatever it was because a quote from Graham said they filmed it in two days against a blue screen that wasn't really blue. And at one mm. point, one of the actors fell through it. And so they yeah. had to repair it with blue painting tape. <laughs> and basically, in the long run, those characters are supposed to have a ghostly kind of apparition feel. And so that happened because they couldn't clean it well enough. And so they had to leave the halo around all of the actors and give yeah. them a ghostly aura. <laughs> Yeah, they realized when they were trying to put these these videos into the pre-render scenes that they had some weird, weird artifacts. And it's like, eh, that looks kind of neat. Just just throw it in. Just that's, roll that's with fine. it. Roll with it. It's yeah. fine. Um, but unsurprisingly, again, as clearly with the reception, we've talked about how revolutionary this game was. The critics really like this game. There aren't a lot of reviews from the time just because of when the game came out and... The you know there just aren't a ton of reviews I could find. Um, Electronic Gaming Monthly gave it an eight out of ten. It's been listed on multiple lists of one of the best puzzle games of all time, just because I think of the status it has and the history yeah. it has. It's just really really well respected in its genre at this point. I was trying to dig into a bunch of pieces of this game and found an archive version of some magazine from you know, the early 90s, and it was an interview with, with Graham Devine, and they were talking about how they essentially wanted to base this game on a bunch of puzzles that they knew, huh. but then apparently all of those puzzles were copyrighted, <laughs> and I couldn't track down what those specific puzzles were, but apparently all the puzzles that they wanted to do were copyrighted, so they had to go back to these puzzle books that they found from, like, the early 1900s. And use those instead. A lot of the puzzles are based on handwritten, like written physical puzzles. Yeah. Like that's how it works. Specifically, they called out that the idea for this game came about as they wanted a clue type game that had Twin Peak vibes. I, I love that. Like it was like Twin Peaks. All right. I can see that. And then Clue. The number of times where I joked that it was just a clue game as we were playing through. Especially with the acting and stuff like that. It definitely felt a lot like that, even if it was pre-clue movie, I believe. Mm -hmm. But still, it was, you could definitely feel those vibes. Yeah. Fun facts. We always like to talk about the speed runs. There are speed runs for this game. Really fun was we had some speedrunners show up in our stream, specifically Die Forever 2011. Stop by our stream Mm. quite a bit. He is the record holder for all of the different records for this game. So he actually Is it has, really? He has all of the speed runs. <laughs> oh my god. All of them. Maybe that's why he, he always said that it was the best game ever. 
I love that that means there's actually a, like, seventh guest, like, community. <laughs> no, there's a huge community. Die Forever joined us in our streams. We had a couple other seventh guest regular streamers and community show up, which was really fun. They apparently have a very regular community that meet for like Halloween and stream and play the game for Halloween. They had a big event when the 13th Doll came out and they all were streaming for like 24 hours. Like there's apparently a huge community around the seventh guest, which is awesome. For the 25th anniversary edition, he completed the game in eight minutes and nine seconds. I Oh, 25th anniversary. Yep. I was like, I don't know how that's possible. And, and the reason he's able to do that is because in the 25th anniversary edition, there's speed. You can uh, speed up and fast forward through things. Right. He, he told us that he had a couple videos on, on some of the walkthroughs of the puzzles, but it was like hints on puzzles. Yeah. So Without he does spoilers. a really good job. On his, on his YouTube channel of explaining the puzzles and kind of how you want to go about them without giving them away. Yeah. For the original game where you can't fast forward, the speed record he set was for one hour, eight minutes, and 26 seconds. And both these records were within the last year. So these aren't even old records. These are still ongoing that within the last year, and I think six months were the two records, this is still happening. So that was really fun. We got to hang out with the seventh guest community on Twitch, which you should come hang out with us on Twitch as well. That is true. Clearly this game is, I almost want to put it in almost cult classic sense because I don't know if a lot of modern gamers know about this game, but so many old school gamers know about it. It set so many records and it really changed the way games were approached at the time. Gaming might not be what it is today had we not seen it the way it was. And that's really the important part of this game is how much it just changed the gaming industry to a certain extent. And that's really cool. So those are our facts on the seventh guest, but let's actually get into our memories and opinions of the seventh guest. So let's play that Chi Ocarina of Time and go back to the past and talk about our memories of the seventh guest. That can't be right. I might have to start this puzzle again. I'm going to have to start again. I'm going to have to start again. You'll be dead by the time you solve this. So that Chi Ocarina of Time means we are in the past. Before we have played this game again, we're going to try to get all of our memories of this game without any sort of recency bias. We're going to give it a score based on what we remember and a projected score on what we think we're going to rate it after we play it again. This is going to be interesting, but Katie, what do you remember about the seventh guest for PC and DOS? So not a lot. Yeah. It's funny. It's a game I remember we played almost as a group of me and you, but often our dad, I'm pretty sure, played with us as well. Yeah, I thought we watched our dad play this, and he apparently has no recollection of it at all. (laughs) He's old, though, so it's not his (laughs) fault. No, but I I do remember playing it. It's a point-and-click, like, puzzle-solving. I want to say there were a lot of puzzles, because it it was... I remember it scaring me, because it was kind of haunted house-ish. It was creepy, yeah. It was one of those, like, you're the seventh guest at a party, and, like, you're locked in, maybe? Yeah, and I want to say, like, someone dies early on, because that's how these yeah. kind of things work. But that's like, I remember being kind of, not scared of the game, but it's one of those games that I never wanted to play by myself, because I'm like, but I'm too scared to do this by myself. Please don't yeah. leave me. <laughs> it had very, yeah, the, the very haunted house aspect. I would say the, the music 
was very, you know, haunted housey. Even if it was DOS, so it was probably terrible eight bit music. <laughs> but at the time, it probably wasn't terrible to us. Yeah. I mean, we were probably super young when we played this, too. Oh, super young. And it's it's definitely one of those games that, in a funny way, goes in and out of my memory of I forget about it, and then something will pop up that reminds me, oh, God, we did play that game, and I think I really yeah. liked it. For example, on a, recently it came out that the house that they based the artwork on of the front of the game is mm-hmm. available on Airbnb, so you can Airbnb the house. No way. Because <laughs> it's in, like, the middle of Oregon somewhere. It's way nicer looking in real life. Like, it's not haunted That's looking funny. at all. For, like, the 50 people that remember this game. Right, exactly. And I'm like, oh, that's so (laughs) funny. I was like, as soon as I saw that kind of clip about it, I was like, ah, I remember that game. Yeah. Here you go. Uh, Wikipedia calls it an interactive movie puzzle adventure game. Okay. So Wikipedia was trying to figure out how to classify it as well. (laughs) The movie puzzle. Yeah, because there were little video clips and actors. There were actual, like, actors, not good actors. I guess they were, yeah, probably uh, FMVs in it. Yeah. Which is probably incredibly impressive for the time. And I don't think we played a lot of FMV games in our household. So this is one of the only ones that stick out in my brain. We played other games, obviously. But Mm -hmm. this one, I want to say, stuck out because it was an FMV. And it was probably one of the oldest games we've played again because this was pre-Sega we were playing this game. This was just on the computer. It's on DOS. I mean, it was... It wasn't even like you didn't boot it up through Windows necessarily. You booted it up in DOS. I think there was a CD mm-hmm. for it. I vaguely remember I, I that. I think there was a CD, but it was, was still floppy, one of those like still had to had to leave Windows and and run it through DOS. You know. I'm trying to remember the puzzles. I know there was one that was like a graveyard that was a cake, and it was one of those like slider puzzles. I think. Oh my god! I think you're right. See, I think I watched more of this game, so I don't know yeah. how much I actually actively participated in the solving of the puzzles. Right. Because I was a dumb kid, but... That's that's why I, I'm i glad that we picked this game and want to go back and play it, because it's one of those, like, how smart am I really? Like, <laughs> it felt really hard as, like, a seven-year-old or an eight-year-old. Can, can 37-year-old Chris figure this game out without having to find a walkthrough? You just made yourself older. Thirty-six. You're thirty-five. You're turning thirty-six. Oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> this this game is is old though, so it'll yeah, be yeah, it is. It, again, it'll I think be fun. It's early enough because when we talk about our PC gaming days as kids, it was very very limited. Yeah. We played this. We played Commander Keen, which I mm-hmm. loved. There was a math game. I want to say we had. I don't know if you remember the math game. It was like in the ice area i don't remember any of the details other than it was a like, i have no idea what you're talking game. about yeah yeah we were very limited in that sense so it stands out that we played a game like this on the pc it stands out again we're both pretty positive our dad played with us and he doesn't remember it at all which is hilarious <laughs> we might try to recruit him into playing it not on stream because that would be too much but we might get him to play it and talk about it yeah. so we'll see if we can get that to happen well, we wanted to pull him in because it's like, maybe he remembers more about this game so we could throw him into this rose section. And it's like, nope, don't remember. It's yeah. like, well, thanks a lot. Come on, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how many people know this game, really. I mean, it it pops up regularly enough in like these those like online lists and those online things that it has to be out there. I have I'm convinced that people... No, it helps that there was a 25th anniversary that has come up somewhat recently. 
Yeah, I was gonna say it's got to be good enough where where they made a remake of it and put it out on Steam. And I remember a bunch of people complaining about it because the remake apparently is just terrible. We'll be trying to play the original. Yes, we will try to figure that out. Do you remember any of the characters outside of obviously yourself? I know I want to say you no. as a main character in a very video game plot has amnesia how did i get to this house because that's part of the mystery of like how did i get here (laughs) because like that's every video game trope ever do they have names i'm pretty sure they have names like the other guests have names don't they i'm sure they do because because again they're act they're like act people acting things out i have to assume they had there was a the, the main was it the butler who was like the bad guy keeping you there? Sure. Oh. <laughs> That's that sounds right. Or are you thinking about Clue? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a really short rose section, guys. <laughs> the seventh guest with uh Colonel Mustard and Mr. Body and Tim Curry. And Tim Curry. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I, I I think we do that going into this rose section that we weren't going to remember a lot, which is why we tried to lean on our dad. But, I mean, I really want to play this game again, so... Yeah, it's it's a different kind of game that we really haven't had a chance to do on this podcast yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited for it, actually. So, I know we don't remember a ton of it, and this is a relatively short section. So, Chris, what is your rose-tinted score for this game? I mean, I'm going to give it a 7 that seems fairly middle of the road. <laughs> I feel like I remember guest. it being easier than mist. I might eat those words later. But <laughs> when I, we're struggling on the Twitch channel, being like, I can't oh, figure this puzzle out, we're gonna regret these words. Oh, it's it's gonna be great. Nothing nothing streams better than <laughs> than a puzzle solving game where the player has no idea. We're going to have to put a note on Twitch. It's like, don't help unless we ask, please, as much as it might hurt you. What, what about you? What is your rose-tinted score for this? I'm going to go with you. I'm going to give it a seven, mostly because I don't know how much I actively played as opposed to watched this game. Yeah. And that, so I'm a little hesitant on that. Kind of the way with Chuck Yeager, I didn't even give a score because, again, I just wasn't sure how much I had actually played the game as much as just watched the game. Uh-huh. I do. I have good memories of it. So, like, I know we're not remembering a lot, but I remember wanting to actively wanting to play this yeah. game, and being like, oh, "Let's play the game. I want to do the puzzles. I want to do this." I've got fond memories of yeah, sitting in that little, sitting in the little office alcove in our parents' room at that old computer with the the three of us. Yeah, you know, just watching Dad play or the two of us trying to play. Like, I've got fond memories of it. Don't remember anything about the game. <laughs> Which okay. is going to make this, like, it's going to make it even harder for, for a projected score. What, the, what's your projected score? What do you think you're going to give it? The good it? news is we're not going to remember any of the solutions to the puzzle. No. So we're just going to have to figure it out. I, I'm going to say my predicted score is a six because I have played similar games now in recent eras. I have a feeling that this was so early on. This is so, uh-huh. I think it was very new at the time that they do this kind of game that there's going to be a lot of pitfalls because of it. Yeah. So we're gonna go with the six. I'm hoping I'm not scared of the game anymore. That's the one thing. I hope I don't. Have to, like, <laughs> I'm still not childlike enough that I'm like scared of this game. But what about you, Chris? What are you predicting for this game? Yeah, I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna say I'm gonna give it a little bit of a benefit and say six and a half, 
because it definitely was one that everyone thinks of, at least in my brain. Maybe not as much as Mist, but Trilobite was not a small... I mean, it was a small studio, but it wasn't a, a no-one studio. This was their first game, though. So, I, I don't know. This is This is really interesting because we're practically going in blind to this game. Yeah, I think this is the first time we're having a game that we know we played but that we're going in blind basically anyway on the replay. So it's going to be really interesting. Looking forward to playing. So let's go ahead and play that Chi Ocarina of Time and head back to the present to after we've actually played this game and hopefully not failed. (laughs) Good luck with that. Good luck, future Katie and Chris. You're not going to regret (laughs) your words at all. So we are back from the past. Our past was kind of worthless, honestly. So We didn't remember a lot of this game, but we did actually no. remember a lot of details, to be fair. There were some parts yeah, we remember. As, as we were playing through it, I remembered a little bit more. But before we, we go into that a lot, uh, let's talk about the very basics of the seventh guest. And I will put a general warning here. We are going to do our best to avoid puzzle spoilers we are going to talk about the plot a bit we're going to do our best to avoid puzzle spoilers we we might not accomplish that but we will do our very best to avoid them as much as possible so be forewarned if you're going to end up playing this game you've never played it before we might spoil some of the puzzles we'll do our best not to do so we are going to spoil the plot because that's what we do to be fair and it's probably a good thing that we aren't spoiling the puzzle methods because I have so many notes about the puzzles and we would probably go on forever. So <laughs> plot. So let's let's get into that plot. So we start off with a photo montage about a man named Henry Stauff, which is an anagram for Faust, because that was on purpose. That's and that's not foreboding at all. Not foreboding at all. And he was a creepy AF and he made dolls that he then <laughs> sold that made him find housing, enough money that he could find housing, and then he became a toy maker because the creepy dolls apparently were good. And so he became a toy maker, made a ton of money, buys a mansion at the edge of the town. By the way, he's doing all of this because he's hearing voices in his head to do so. Not ominous at all. You forgot the part where he murdered a woman. Yeah, for the doll. Before all of that started. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> he did already he, murder it. He murdered he was a, a drifter lot that murdered a woman and then had a dream to build a doll. And that's how it went yeah, into the point. rest of the things that you just said. <laughs> so the doll's <laughs> even I creepier. I feel like we shouldn't brush past that part. So the doll's even creepier. It is a murder doll <laughs> that he then sells to another woman who's like, oh, I'm going to give it to my child. Not weird. And then he, he becomes a toy maker and sells all his dolls and toys to a bunch of children who then mysteriously die. Because there's a disease. A virus. We don't know anything about viruses that kills people, do we? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. How did you, how was that not the first thing you heard, you thought of when you when this game started? <laughs> the first thing I thought of when I was watching the game. <laughs> Topical. What have we done? <laughs> okay, so after we see all of this in a photo montage that's the past, we flash forward to the present with no Chiacarina of time, I will note. Rude. 
But how we flash, dare they? How dare they? We flash forward to the present, and you, the protagonist of the game, wake up with no memories, because we called that in the rose. Can we talk real quick? Something I forgot to say in the beginning of the episode. Okay. It was supposed to be in real time, like you were supposed to be experience it as it was happening but with those whole uh ghostly after effects that you talked about yeah they were like oh that looks weird why don't we make it a flashback yeah because of that all right run with it we're a flashback now or flash and then they change the they they change the plot to be fair because of that because we'll get to the reason why but yes so they did actually change their plot based on the technology so yeah you are going through this haunted mansion-ish, and we're seeing apparitions of these six people running around, and they're told to solve puzzles, and if they manage to solve the final puzzle and find out about the seventh guest, it's the title of the game. If they find out about the seventh guest, they will get their heart's greatest desire. The six guests who were invited to the mansion were Martine Burden, a former singer, Edward and Eleanor Knox, a dissatisfied middle-aged couple. Julie Hine, a bank worker who reminisces of her youth. Brian Dutton, a fellow shop owner. And Hamilton Temple, a stage musician. He was my favorite. No, I definitely liked him the most. He was my favorite. Also, where would you know all of these names from? Uh, The credits. The credits and the manual. Oh, yes. All of the backstory. All of this was in the manual, and there was a ton of background information on all of them. Yeah, so they had a bunch of, like, fake news articles in the manual that talked about the history. Again, we are pro-manual on this podcast. Yes. This is going back to the uh, it's all there in the manual. You would know none of this. Unless you went through the manual. Well, you could, you could pick up certain aspects. Like, you, he talks about being a magician, so you'd pick yeah, up yeah, on yeah. that. But as I said, they talk about a seventh guest, and we keep hearing this, who's the mysterious seventh guest? And so you find out at one point in the game, the mysterious seventh guest is a young boy who gets dared to sneak into and break into the mansion. And so it's a young boy who's running around the mansion as the seventh guest. All the guests find out through the puzzles that they need to bring the young boy to the final place in the mansion, to the final puzzle, and that by doing so, they will get their greatest desire. In order to do this, they all have, you know, different opinions about this because they realize it's probably not good for the young boy considering this is the mansion where a bunch of children died in. Yeah. So some of them, like the stage magician, are like, no, we have to save them. And others are like, no, we're going to do this so we get our heart's desire. And so they end up killing each other over this. Multiple people die. Someone gets garroted. A couple people get stabbed. A lot of stabbing. Yeah. Someone drowns. And so you get to the very end of the game. You solve all the puzzles. You see that the last person has brought the boy to Stauf, who is supposed to be dead, but actually isn't. He's just in the attic of the mansion waiting for the boy to be his final Mm. sacrifice because it's implied that he has made a deal with some demons that if he sacrifices children he gets eternal life you know as you do a faustian bargain if you will yeah as you do (laughs) as as you do when your name is an anagram my name is an anagram for sale i was gonna say your name's an anagram of faust okay major major spoilers for the end of the game here Major spoilers I'm about to say in five, four, three, skip about 10 seconds ahead if you don't want to hear this, two, one. You find out you are actually the boy and you're basically stuck in a 
purgatory re-watching the day you were killed over and over again until this particular playthrough because you finally solved the puzzles you can actually interfere with the past and save your past self and so you actually save yourself Dalf because he wasn't able to sacrifice the child gets taken by the demon he made the deal with and brought to hell I assume because he gets dragged into the ground with red yeah. things and that's the end of the game. You've saved your past self and possibly created a new future. Which I sort of called. I mean, I called it immediately before it happened, which is not really but, calling so it. So producer Kyle and I definitely called. We're like, I bet you he's the boy. Now, we did yeah. that off stream to not spoil anything, but we, we had the genuine discussion of, like, it seems like he is the boy. Yeah. On one of the puzzles, he says... I used to have a puzzle like yeah. this. It's a vague yes. memory. And and he talks about and there's other things like I remember this tune. This sounds familiar yeah. to me. So they 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 allude to it. Apparently, in the scripts and notes and everything, your protagonist is referred to as ego mm -hmm. throughout the whole thing. But you are actually the boy, and that is actually canon in the later games that the protagonist is the boy. That's I feel like that's some literary device where it's like you want to make your reader feel smart but not too smart yeah like you want them to be able to figure it out Bread like crumbs, halfway but through not like the whole story yeah so that is the basic plot of the game getting into the mechanics and the mechanics were easy enough it was a click and walk around the mansion I won't lie, it was incredibly frustrating to move around that mansion especially so Chris and I played the original DOS-type version. We played versions yes. of it, uh, um, the original version. Both the producers played the iOS version because it's come. the 25th anniversary has come out on iOS, mm. so they were both able to play on the phones. There are definitely drawbacks to touchscreen. We'll not deny yeah. that. There were upgrades in the 25th anniversary that we didn't have, like fast-forwarding. Oh, I wish I had. Like the yes. fact that there was a little, like... I didn't like, know you could fast-forward. <laughs> there, there was a little. There were like glasses on the screen, and if you clicked the glasses, it highlighted anything you could click on the screen, so it would tell you if something is there. That would also be incredibly helpful, because there are times where you have to find hidden passages, or and, just and know puzzles. of hidden passages or hidden puzzles. Yeah. So. Because so, typically, to move around, you would literally wave the mouse around. Because if if it wasn't somewhere yeah. you were supposed to go, it was a waving finger. And if it was somewhere where you were supposed to go, it was a finger inviting you in or going a left or right. A skeleton finger, might I note. Yes, a skeleton finger. Game. So now, again, touchscreen opens up a whole bunch of problems as well of accidentally doing things you didn't want to do. Yeah. So I'm not saying it was easier. I'm just saying that we played different games slightly. But the interesting thing, yeah, navigating, you basically, it was point and click to a certain extent. You could mm -hmm. only move around in certain rooms. Everything was pre-rendered, as we said. You had the hand basically guiding you around. When you got into the puzzles, it was eyeballs or a hand or a skull, basically, to reset the puzzle. There were a lot mm -hmm. of different icons. You, this is definitely a game that relied, it was so heavy use on a computer, obviously, that the mouse icon changed all the time, and that's how they indicated things, was your mouse icon. Well, I think I saw somewhere where the developers wanted to say, we want to make this easy. We don't want any sort of overlay to be able to tell you anything. We just want you to be able to click through it. Like, I think I think Graham Devine was like, I want your grandma to be able to play this or your mom to be able to play this. 
and in that sense, certain parts it was it was it made sense. Other parts it was very frustrating to find things and oh, navigate yeah. and trying to get from room to room. This is those moments of like in modern gaming. If I pull up a map, there's fast travel a lot of times, and so I could be like, I want to go to this room. Click. Could not do yeah. that in this game. And sometimes if you went to the map in this game, it moved you out of whatever room you're in into the main. That level. was really obnoxious. That is true. <laughs> It's just just moving around, or you would accidentally find a secret passageway in a room, yeah. which would move you somewhere. Like, oh, that's really neat because we're in a haunted house. But now I have to spend ten minutes getting back to where I was because right. it's impossible to walk around this place. And, and also, yeah, you basically had to just roll your mouse over the screen sometimes to find things. It yeah, was a little frustrating at times. Beyond that, again, in the puzzles, there were a variety of puzzles. So let's get into those actual types of puzzles. We had... There was the one puzzle that we actually remembered. The cake puzzle, which the is cake literally... cake puzzle, which is like the first, the first one. Yeah. But not a slider cake. It was picking pieces of the cake to make even segments. I accidentally did that on my first go. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm just clicking things. And then I beat it. And producer Lisa was literally like... I can't believe that you did that. And I was like, wait, what? Uh, hold on. I'll start over. And he did. I'll, I'll do it again. And it, this happened multiple times. I think there was this one. I eventually figured out the rules. There was probably two, two other puzzles, yeah. two or three other puzzles where I, I dumb lucked my way through them. As did most and, of us, to be fair. Yeah. And refused... I was just offended because you dumb luck on your first try. Literally yeah, the first puzzle, the first puzzle, the first try, and I beat it with just going, hey, what am I doing? Oh, I, so, I beat it. Neat. So there was, that was like a shape puzzle. There were a lot of, there yeah. were a couple of word puzzles here and there. There were, and different varieties of words. So there were yeah. like slider word puzzles. There were just find the word puzzles. I'm trying not to get too specific right now. In general, there were puzzles. There yeah. were flipping puzzles. So basically the way the game worked is you had a certain amount of puzzles available to you at a time. Once you solved all of those, some doors and rooms would open up to mm -hmm. you and you'd have more puzzles puzzles available to you so you moved throughout the house in different rooms as you went and kept solving puzzles till the very end where you end up in the attic and that's where the final puzzle is yeah so like there were there were like sequence sequence finding puzzles right yeah. so it was like here's a bunch of letters find a sequence uh based on a bunch of rules there was several several chess puzzles yeah there were quite a few chess puzzles and those were interesting because it was you would figure out the rules of the puzzle, but to actually get the solution took a not insignificant amount of time, which was rough. So overall, that's the mechanics of the game. When yeah. you wander the house, you solve puzzles, you move to, once you solved enough puzzles, you move to the next area and had to find more puzzles. So let's actually get into our thoughts and opinions of the game as opposed to the overarching. You can kind of see where we're going with it. We had a lot of frustrations with these puzzles. I thought for the most part the puzzles were designed pretty well. It was a handful of different types of puzzles. There were no rules in any of the puzzles. You could go to the library and click on the book that was in the front of the library and it would give you Hints. a hint and then send you back to the puzzle. If you went back, it would give you a second hint, send you back to the puzzle. If you went back a third time, it would solve the puzzles. You could skip the puzzle. Yeah. And I, in the original guide, it would say, don't do that. It'll mess up the game. But really, all that happens is you don't get to see the cutscene afterwards. 
but the hints were not always great half the time so sometimes the audio clips attached to the puzzle would kind of give you hints to the rules so they would be things like oh i see a pattern here or oh i i think i need to do this like they were very vague hints or it's something like in in a counting puzzle he'd be like oh it's like one two three like they had moments where they tried to give hints but some of them give you zero hints at all they told you nothing they just were like go for it like for example though one of the chess puzzles was like the queen can move anywhere on the board now it doesn't tell you the rules of how what they wanted you to do but the point is he says that but then he doesn't say like yeah what the actual puzzle is so they'll give you hints to it so like if you didn't know the queen could move anywhere on the board that was his hint but they were obtuse hints at best let's say we should say it's a subtrope of dumb luck brute forcing puzzles yes where you've only got so i beat some of these puzzles by brute force as in you click on what you could click on yeah and then remember what you did and then do it again when you have to start over. So one of the notes I repeated when I was writing my notes playing this game was, tell me the rules. It was yeah. very fresh. I get why maybe they don't want to tell you right off the bat. But at a certain point, when I've been on a puzzle for freaking 10 minutes, tell me the tell me the rules give me more hints yeah help me out a little bit here because there were some that you got zero hints on and that was so frustrating and i know this game was aimed at adults is what you find out it definitely was aimed at adults i'm an adult now i still didn't know what i was doing help me out a little bit here kind of the one thing i got sad about was sometimes is there were a couple puzzles that had the exact same rules as each other now they had different layouts and different setups but there were a couple puzzles that did the exact same rules and i was like oh it's another one of these but at the same time i realized there were 21 puzzles there were 22 puzzles in the game they only had so many options i get why they repeated a little they couldn't duplicate the ones they wanted to and again i struggled on a third of these puzzles. Yeah. I'd say two thirds of them I could get pretty easily. Even if I didn't get it on my first try, I got the rules pretty quickly and could figure yeah. it out. Some of them didn't necessarily need rules per se. There was yep. one that I remembered once I played it again. It was literally a maze. Yeah. But it's a maze in the first person. And I remember seeing that originally and going back to it this time and being like, that's so cool because I thought the you know the first time I saw this puzzle... How neat is that to be able to go through a maze in the first person? Because when you're looking at it from above, it's like, oh, yeah, I can kind of look where this is. But I always thought as a kid, how much harder and neater would it be to be able to go through? That's why people like corn mazes, to be fair. Yeah, exactly. And I drew a maze. I put it on Instagram. You should look. It's an awful hot mess of a drawing. But he figured it out. Unlike the rest of us, he used a hidden clue to get through that maze. Kyle blind lucked his way through the maze, whereas Lisa and I ended up finding a hidden clue that helped us in the maze. The point is, it was a lot of fun. A lot of these puzzles were really clever and interesting. There were puzzles that were very, very frustrating, and that's where I have the problem. There was one puzzle. <laughs> all of these, all of these except one, were puzzles. Yeah. There was one that was a strategy game mm-hmm. against an AI. That is the one puzzle that I ended up skipping because I just didn't have the patience for. That that puzzle annoyed me because you were always at a disadvantage because yeah. the first move was a disadvantage. Yeah. 
Yeah, you always win first, and that's a disadvantage. And it's it was crazy because again, goes you go from puzzles to an AI strategy game. I wish I had more time for that because yeah. I wanted to beat it, but yeah. I just didn't have time. Yeah, it, <laughs> so it was I a tough. It. But it was near the end of the game. It was one of the final puzzles you have to beat. Yeah. I get it. The, these were the parts where they stopped telling you the rules basically altogether on these puzzles. They're long and tedious and hard. Like before that, there was the, the stepping stone puzzles, which producer Kyle, Lisa, and I all dumb lucked our way through. I mean, I, I also did. Yeah. I did. I so, then restarted. Yeah. Tried to figure it out and then dumb lucked my way through it again. And I just went, all right, I'm done. So this brings up a, a crucial point that I think is defining if you watch Chris and I play this on stream. I wanted to solve the puzzles and move on. Chris wanted to beat the puzzles. I wanted to figure out what everything meant. You wanted to beat the game. I was just going to solve yes. the puzzles and move on. I didn't <laughs> love when I dumb lucked it, but I was okay with it and I moved on. You hated when you dumb locked it. I was so mad. And there would be so many times when you're like, no, I need to math out every single possible move for this puzzle. And I'm like, just <laughs> click. Sometimes you just got to click a little until you get in the right general area and you figure it out from there. And you just wouldn't because you needed to figure it out. And I was like, yes, just click. Just click the dang board, Chris. So it was, it was inherently different ways we played, which is very, very funny. Because it's a puzzle game. You wouldn't think there's different ways of playing puzzles. There are. There are different ways of playing puzzles. I think, to be fair, that's why you got more frustrated than I did at times. Yeah. Because you wanted desperately to understand. And I was like, I'm just going to move on. I made you really mad because I was literally about to beat the color puzzle and went, nope, I don't know how I'm doing this. I'm starting over. I and you was... were like, you were about to beat it. I was like, I don't know how. I don't care. It was like literally the next move, which was the final move, which you knew it was the final move. You yes. just needed to click. And you're like, no, I think I'm going to win it on this one. So, And I'm going to, but I don't want to. Exit. And I was like, why? That puzzle was, was annoying, I will say, as an aside, because you you could technically get from the start to the finish yeah. and not solve and the not puzzle. And not solve the puzzle. That was very That's not how puzzles should work. If you get from the start to the finish, that should be the solution to the puzzle. I agree. But that, that brings up the point again of the lack of rules on some of these puzzles of what am I doing to solve it? Am I trying to yeah. get to the end? Am I trying to eliminate everything on the board? Am I trying to do this? Because there were a couple of puzzles where it was like, okay, am I doing one particular pattern or am I eliminating everything on the board? Like, right. that's frustrating, again, when you have no guidance. But that's the way this game was built, and that's part of it, and they wanted to, to push you and stress yeah. you out, basically. I, I thought the puzzle design was, was fairly good for the most part. No, most, again... Two-thirds yeah. of the puzzles were simple enough I got them, but still took a minute to learn them and stuff like that. There were some that were frustrating. Even even the last puzzle that we we dumbed our way through, both of us, all four of us. All four of us. When me. Kyle told me the way to solve it, it was a very, very clever puzzle. No, it's Don't a very clever puzzle. Don't know if I would have figured it out. But exactly. Would you have figured it out? Probably not. The funny part of that is, again, on that final puzzle... You were so late at night and you're getting tired. You had recorded your exact path on the first, like, rung. And then you're like, oh, on the last rung where I literally need to click one freaking... One of four. One of four. 
You didn't write down like which ones you times. clicked. It took you like eight <laughs> times. I was getting literally yelling at the screen. Click this one. Click it. Oh my god. And if god, you misclick, click you have to go back, and it takes you like two minutes to get back to that point. So that was that was the annoying thing with a lot of the puzzles. It would take so long to cycle. Well, the number of times that like the again the voice acting that was one of the most frustrating things is they'd come yeah. up and be like. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or yeah. which way should I go now? Which way should I go now? And you're just like, please stop. Just stop talking. Yeah, if if you have just if you have a choice of two options every single time, it would go, which way should I go now? Every time. It's like, could you just like so, maybe shorten that to which way or where? So I had to laugh. Apparently part of the speedrunning community is reducing the amount of times you hear that and they actually track uh, how many times you hear it and you know you're you're going to be over if you've heard a certain amount of them. That's funny. Because it takes so long because you can't click while they're talking. There was a Cracker Barrel puzzle, which that's when we find out that so, producer Kyle's never been to a Cracker Barrel. So I feel like we have to ask, what was your favorite puzzle? I think my favorite puzzle was the maze. Only because, as I said, I, I always wondered as a kid, what would it be like to go through a maze in the first person? And would I have to draw it out? And honestly, I really liked drawing that map. As bad of a map it was, I really enjoyed drawing that map because it was just fun. I, I don't know. Uh, what about you? What was, what was your favorite puzzle? Can I vote none of them? No. Um... <laughs> so I would say... I think my favorite puzzle was the other maze type puzzle, which was the heart puzzle. So you were like on a rug type thing and you had to connect the heart to the the front of the maze by moving oh, valves. Oh, yeah, like the, 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 the pipe, pipe dream yeah. puzzle. I really yeah. liked that puzzle because it was very satisfying to see the blood flow through the valves. I totally forgot about that puzzle. That's like one of the puzzles I don't actually have any notes on. Yeah, well, because it was relatively straightforward. But I love that puzzle, too. Yeah. But it was kind of funny because it was like, oh, I don't know. Can the blood go under or over something? And you mm -hmm. can check and it tells you if it does or not. And that's really nice. So yeah. I, that's probably my favorite puzzle. But overall, it was interesting. It was different. It was enjoyable. It was also really aggravating at times. Yeah. And so I think I need your scores, Chris. What would you give this game overall? Your rose-tinted score was a 7 out of 10. Your predicted score was a 6.5. Where are you ending up? I'm honestly going to go a 7 out of 10 because I thought the puzzles, for the most part, were built pretty well. I thought moving around the mansion was frustrating, and there were a couple puzzles that were annoying based on the way that were, they were built. But for the most part, I really thought the puzzle design was really good. The plot, I honestly couldn't care less about. Like, it was interesting, but it was just a, an aside to me. Maybe that's because we only had two weeks to play this game. That's why I kind of wish I had had more time or had used the iOS like the producers because then you could play it wherever. But I honestly thought the puzzle design was, was really neat and kind of fun because you know nowadays with games as a service puzzles are a hard game to give you right yeah because puzzles are beat once yeah and you can't have any replayability about that that is one thing about this game there's replayability for time but like but not not really but having gaps is important we didn't remember most of the puzzles which made this way easier right. to play again and it's and it's not like the, the puzzles are there are puzzles where you have to redo them and know how to do them so it's yeah. not like you know there are specific sequences 
that you could you could memorize but sure um I, I thought it was good. What about you? You gave it a seven for a rose score and a predicted score. You had a six. What is your final score after playing it again? So I have to give it a six. I think the some of the mechanics were way too frustrating. Some of the puzzles, the lack of rules really just killed me. I, I needed mm. a little more guidance than they gave me. The other thing that killed me was the number of times I accidentally clicked out or reset a puzzle because it you just accidentally clicked out of the little sphere yeah. That happened on a couple puzzles with me. That was really, really frustrating to be like, I had it and you took it away from me. And that makes me yeah. angry. And That's so fair. Uh, just, just the mechanics, the game itself, I think was great. I think the mechanics and the older feel of it, I just have to give it a six out of 10. Uh, the plot was interesting. I wish it was because the puzzles would sometimes take so long in between because I'm not great at it. I would forget what mm. happened. So I'm sure if I played it more consistently <laughs> and played through again now where I know kind of how to do the puzzles, I'd be quicker. And I'd get more of the plot. I feel like I missed plot because I would forget stuff. That's but fair. overall, yeah. enjoyable game. Six out of ten. It's fun. If you have a chance to play it, if you like puzzle games, it can be a lot of fun. It is like the granddaddy of puzzle games for computers. So I mean, absolutely. As and and as kind of a contrary to you, I like that they didn't give you rules sometimes where you oh, just had to that. figure it out. Which is again why I got annoyed when I beat it without figuring out the rules, because I wanted to figure out the rules. Because I think that's half of in my brain, that's half of the fun of the puzzles is figuring out the rules and then figuring out the puzzle. Yeah. But as we said, I get it. I think you should still play it if you like puzzle games. You have to like puzzle games to play this game. PT Well, yes. If it you don't puzzle like puzzle game. games, don't play this game. But it's available. There's the 25th anniversary version available on Steam, iOS, Android. It's on a bunch of places. You can play the original as well. There's a couple places you can find it. It's a lot of fun. It'd be prepared to be frustrated, but it can be a lot of fun. Go play it. It's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. For our next episode, what game are we covering, Chris? Call Beyonce, because we're playing some Halo. I am super excited about this, I won't lie. Yeah, you, we've been talking about it a bunch. We have. We're talking about playing it on the 24-hour stream. Next game is the original Halo Combat Evolved. Halo Combat Evolved. It's going to be so much fun. Again, we're playing. We've been playing it a little bit. It should be a ton of fun. I'm going to be dragging Katie through this game. It's going to be a mess. And it's going to be amazing. So big note, our next episode is not coming out in two weeks. It's coming out in three weeks. We are putting a little bit more of a gap on this to accommodate for the travel so we can actually play the game together and then record the episode. So that means the next episode will be coming out on June 22nd. We will be reminding everyone on social media that there is a bigger gap. But again, three weeks till the next episode, June 22nd for the Halo Combat Evolve episode. But before that, you can enjoy the 24-hour stream, and it'll be lots of fun. 24-hour stream! On our Twitch channel, GWGW Show. What? June 9th, starting at 9 o'clock, we will be throwing it out on social media everywhere. It should be a lot of fun. Join us. It's fun. We want to talk to you all. We want to see you all. We want you to have a good time with us and celebrate Chris's birthday. Yay! It should be a lot of fun. So... Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us on social media. As we always say, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at GWGW Show, as well as on Twitch. Leave us a review if you can. Give us a subscribe if you can. Give us a follow. Follow us on Twitch. Find us ever. Talk to us. We're not terrible people most of the time. Most of the time, but when we are, it's funny. So join <laughs> us along the way. Otherwise, say goodbye, Chris. Goodbye, Chris. Bye, everyone.
I was I was gonna start meowing. Meow, meow, meow. Come back.